0: As the children find their way back to the children's ministry, if you would find your way in your Bibles back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the passage that Pastor Ian read for us this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to look at chapter 4 and 5 this morning, or at least parts of that. As you're finding your place there, let me look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll press into our message this morning. But let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, grateful to sing truth to one another as we worship you, and now grateful to have your word open in our laps before us. Uh, We want to hear from you. We ask that you would continue to take your word and uh, conform us, press us more and more into the image that you have for us, deeply into that pattern, and uh, cause us this morning to think upon you and upon what your truth communicates to us, which will bring both you glory and us great strength and hope. And so we ask for that this morning in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We do not lose heart. We are not giving up. We're not giving in. We're not sinking into despair. We are not leaving. We're staying in the fight. We're keeping in the way. We do not lose heart. A new year has just begun. This is the first Sunday in a new year, 2024. With a new year, it often comes with new resolves, new commitments, new habits, new rhythms evaluated priorities from the prior year and greater attempts at renewed determination of keeping those priorities into the new year. We're seven days into this new year. How are we doing with our commitments? Yeah. Some of us have become so disillusioned with resolve keeping that we no longer make resolutions. We, um, we've become commitment allergic. And it's our own weaknesses in keeping our commitments that make us allergic to making commitments We just don't do it anymore. We know that we are not good promise keepers. And some of the promises that we make that are the most difficult to keep are the promises that we make to ourselves. We might make promises to others and feel a little more committed to keeping those, but the promises that we make to ourselves, we often abandon. Uh, Often at this time of year, we will say things like, uh, this next year, I promise never to X, Y, Z again, and before the week is out, we've X, Y, Z'd and we are going to X, Y, and Z all year long. And that causes us to lose heart, causes us to lose heart in making commitments for future progress. As we get into the new year, we quickly realize that the new year comes with the same challenges the prior year possessed. The same complexity, same chaos, same calendar, same challenges, the flip of the calendar doesn't make hard things easy. Commitments are just as hard to keep this year as they were last year. And it takes just a few hours into the new year to realize that. So in light of that, and we know this is true, uh, how many of us want to be judged by the strength of our own ability at keeping our resolves? On the other hand, is there a strength? Is there a power available to us that keeps us from losing heart and holds us fast in what matters the most to us? Well, before the holidays, we were in a series of messages and we were looking at 2 Corinthians. In chapter 4, which we're not there this morning, but in chapter 4, twice over, Paul says, we do not lose heart. Chapter 4, verse 1, we do not lose heart. In chapter 4, verse 16, so we do not lose heart. So Paul is not losing heart. Now think with me for a little bit, again, through his experience. Paul had an encounter with the risen, living Jesus Christ. And as a result of that encounter, Paul placed his faith in Jesus Christ as the God-promised, God-provided rescuer, uh, the promised king of a new humanity, the promised savior for sinners. Uh, Through faith in Jesus Christ, Paul experienced the forgiveness of his sins, the freedom of being fully belonging to God, and the fellowship of belonging to God's people. And this all brought him immeasurable joy. Paul went all over Western Asia and Southeast Europe telling people about the salvation that God had provided him and the world through sending Jesus Christ, and the salvation that Jesus specifically provided through his death for sin, his powerful resurrection, and his glorious ascension. Paul went everywhere telling people about Jesus, and everywhere Paul went, he suffered. Everywhere Paul went, he got into trouble. He was mistreated, abused, persecuted. He was misunderstood. He was marginalized. He had this new life in Christ, which brought him immeasurable joy, but this new life in Christ was hard. The political leaders everywhere he went found him and his message to be threatening. Paul was proclaiming a new king, and the value and the the, the beauty and the the privilege of belonging to a new kingdom that was uh, worthy of our highest allegiance, and that was a threat to the political leaders. Uh, Paul was a threat to the religious leaders. He went and communicated this message, and the hierarchy of the religious structures were upended as people began to realize that they no longer had to maintain this self made righteousness, but they could trust in Jesus Christ and be made acceptable to God. And, and, And these religious leaders were jealous that they were losing their exalted positions, and so they resisted Paul. And even the marketplace business people were disturbed by Paul's message, his message of the gospel. Because people would hear this good news and they would place their faith in Jesus Christ and uh, their priorities were remade and their worldview was altered and all the trinkets that the business people were selling in the marketplace no longer hold such appeal to them and they were losing their economic position. So everywhere Paul went with this glorious message of the gospel, he experienced resistance. And, and everywhere he went, only a small handful of people believed the message. And even those people really struggled to live into this new life. The patterns of their old life were deeply ingrained, and the freedom of living into this new life was all new territory for them, and they found it difficult to live into this new life, and so Paul faced daily the pressure of these immature Christians and these baby churches. So everywhere Paul went, he experienced persecution from outsiders, perplexity from insiders, and he even experienced the internal pressures of putting off his own pride because of his privileged experience with Jesus Christ. Not everyone had a conversion experience like Paul had. Not everyone experienced from Jesus revelations that Paul experienced. And so he he struggled himself with sin and putting that off and putting on his new life. So all of that to say, there was a lot going on in Paul's life that would lead him toward giving up, giving in, losing heart, calling it quits. What kept him going on? What kept him from giving up, giving in, and sinking into despair? What kept him from losing heart? Was it just the fact that Paul was super disciplined? Was it the strength of his own teeth, gritting, commitment? Or was there a power at work in Paul that kept him from losing heart? Well, let's look at what he says. Back in chapter 3, he says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He goes on to say, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. He goes on to say, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We do not lose heart. Paul says that twice over. Though life is difficult and there's resistance everywhere I go, and persecution and misunderstanding and difficulty, I'm not losing heart. There's a work, a power at work in Paul's life that is superior to his own ability of keeping his own resolves. And the power is the power of the Holy Spirit, and it is the power of Christ in him, and the power of the resurrection. And with that coming the certain hope of the future eternal weight of glory. So Christ in Paul is making the difference. Christ in him is what keeps him from losing heart. It is the presence of Christ in Paul that keeps him persevering. Uh, The last time we were together in the book of 2 Corinthians, which was three weeks ago, just before the holidays, we dove into this message of not losing heart, and we looked at the surrounding context and the passages of Scripture, and we discovered three things. He was not losing heart because he was in union with Jesus, which we just talked about. He was not losing heart because not only was he in union with Jesus, but he was looking forward to the promise of the resurrection, and he had the Spirit as the deposit guaranteeing that, and he also had the eternal weight of glory that he was looking forward to. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Looking to what is unseen, looking to Jesus who is unseen and eternal, looking unto him, we are being sanctified. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So Paul, in union with Jesus and believing the promises of God, is keeping Paul from losing heart. So back in chapter 4, Twice over it says in chapter four, verse one, we do not lose heart. Chapter four, sixteen, we do not lose heart. The passage that Ian read for us this morning, and the passage that we would have read this past week in preparation for the sermon, in chapter five, verse six, it says, We are always of good courage. And then in chapter five, verse eight, it says again, So we are always of good courage. Now I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that personally. I want you to think about that personally in this present context in which we live. To be a people who are not losing heart, and to be a people who are of good courage, not only would that be personally stabilizing and personally settling, but that would make you and I really stand out. Particularly in a culture that is being discipled in anxiety and anger. To be able to say, I'm not losing heart and I'm always of good courage is quite remarkable. And as we have observed, there was a lot in Paul's life that would lead him toward losing heart mistreatment, persecution, all of those things that we mentioned. But Paul, again, joined to Jesus, believing the promises of God, looking forward to the resurrection, he's not losing heart. But here today, twice over, he says, He's always of good courage. Let me ask you this, what would be Paul's greatest test of courage? What would be Paul's greatest test of faith and courage? What would be the greatest test of faith and courage for you and me? Well, let's see if we can see it in today's scripture. Chapter 4, verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 16, it says, though our outer self is wasting away. And then at the very beginning, chapter 5, verse 1 uh, of our passage this morning, it says, For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed. From the context, I would argue that the greatest test of faith and courage will be the fragility of our own lives, our clay pot like bodies. Our greatest test of faith and courage will be the fragility of our lives the wasting away of our bodies and the ultimate collapse of our bodies in death? What will keep you and me from not losing heart and what will give you and me great courage when you and I face the imminent separation of ourselves from our bodies? What will give us courage when we are passing from this life? the only life we're familiar with. Uh, Most of you know that my father passed away between Thanksgiving and Christmas. He would have been 89 years old this past Thursday, January 4th, just a few days ago. He would have turned 89 years old. It was his birthday. Uh, The day after Thanksgiving is uh, when he exited his body. And a few days later, even before he was embalmed, we lowered his body six feet below the surface of the ground in a box. In the West Burlington Cemetery in Clifford, Michigan. His body is in that box under the surface, <laughs> and it's returning to dust and bone. I would expect that at this point, his body is completely unrecognizable. If you read through the Old Testament, it gives you really interesting descriptions of people's bodies who've passed, eaten by worms and decaying into dust. If Jesus doesn't return in our lifetime, you and I will be there one day. How do you feel about being six feet in a box, six feet underground in a box, rotting away? What is your hope and comfort and courage in life and death? See, Paul is saying "Hey, we don't lose heart. My life is really hard. Everywhere I go, it's resistance and persecution, and I've got these baby Christians and baby churches, and it, it's difficult. It would be really easy to give up, but he's, I'm not losing heart. I'm in union with Jesus. Jesus keeps me persevering. But now he's facing, he's talking about his clay pot body and his wasting away health and his tent being destroyed. You know, we go to the funeral of a loved one, who has passed from this life, and if that person is in union with God and union with Jesus by God's grace through belief in the gospel, we often hear the encouragement. Well, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You ever hear that? Well, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. That comes right from our passage this morning, uh, 2 Corinthians 5 8. We ask we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That, that's good encouragement, but I don't believe it's the best encouragement, nor is it the best encouragement even from this passage. Uh, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. How many of us want to be absent from our bodies? None of us. None of us want to be absent from our body. We want to hang on to life as long as we can. We go through extraordinary measures to remain with our body. We were born with a body. We've grown up with our body. Everything we've done, we've done with our bodies. We don't know what it's like to be absent from the body, and quite frankly, we'd prefer not to have that experience. God has made us with our bodies, and quite frankly, we don't want to leave it. Undoubtedly, you've heard it said, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens, and I'd prefer for that to not happen today nor any day. We love life. We prefer to not die. Death is a terrible enemy. And so to go to a funeral and tell someone whose loved one has departed, well, to be absent from the body is basically just telling them, your loved one has died. They've left their body. Well, we go on to say uh, we, uh, we don't, we're absent from the body, but we're present with the Lord. We don't know what it's like to be absent from the body, and we'd like to avoid that. How many of us know what it's like to be apart from our body and present with the Lord? We don't know a lot about that either. We don't know a lot about what it's like to be present with the Lord because, quite frankly, the Bible doesn't tell us much about that experience. In the words of the ever-popular music group, Mercy Me, I can only imagine. I can only imagine what it's like to be absent from my body and present with the Lord because the Bible doesn't tell me very much about the intermediate state. It tells me a good deal of information about the eternal state, but not the intermediate state, that time when we are absent from our bodies and present with the Lord. We are grateful for passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Philippians chapter 1 where the scripture tells us that exiting our body and being present with the Lord is not a step backwards. We're grateful to hear that. It's not a loss. It is better. According to this passage, it is strangely preferred, actually, and it's better because of who we are with. We will be absent from our body, but we'll be at home with the Lord because not even death can separate us from him. In him, we have everlasting life, and we know who the Lord is. And being with the Lord is what makes that experience better. The Lord is the Satan crusher, the sin defeater, the death destroyer. The Lord is the one who gives everlasting life. For the believer to depart the body is to go on living with him in a heavenly existence that we've never experienced before, and we won't have eternally. Heaven without our bodies is not a permanent situation. Being with Jesus in heaven is temporary. There's more coming, and it's even better, and that's the better encouragement. Well, let's look into the text. Ian read it for us this morning, but back in chapter 5, verse 1, For we know... That if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. None of us wanted to come to church this morning naked. Very uncomfortable situation. We may have had strange dreams about that and been uncomfortable in that. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. First Corinthians chapter 15, the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church before this one. In first Corinthians chapter 15, it tells us that the perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which also Paul wrote, he tells us that our loved ones who are in Christ, who have passed from this life, have gone to be with Jesus, which is better, but our loved ones who have put off their body and gone to be with Christ will be returning with Jesus when he comes again. And then in Revelations 19, 20, and 21, it makes it very clear that when Jesus Christ comes again, there will be a resurrection, the promised resurrection, where bodies will be raised and glorified and made eternal, and all of God's people will dwell forever with Jesus in an eternal glorified body in a new and renewed earth where sin and death will be no more and all corruption will be eradicated. All of this is better than going to heaven when you die. You follow? To experience death, to leave my body is not for me to be separated from Jesus. Nothing can separate us. I will go home with him. But I'm looking forward to a glorious future. The ultimate hope of those who have been joined to Jesus isn't departing the body and going to heaven. That's not bad. It's good. It's a strange improvement on our present, according to this passage. But it's not the ultimate good. We're looking forward to something much better. What are we looking forward to? Well, let me ask it this way. My father passed away last, this last year, and we put him in the ground. He's gone on to be with Christ. I think the last funeral I had here before that was Sandy Gerard. I wonder if my dad and Sandy have met yet. There's a lot of people populating heaven these days. I don't know if they've met yet or not. What is my father looking forward to? It's strange. Because we have this weird delusion that... Our loved ones in Christ die and they go to be with Jesus and that's the end of the road. What <laughs> our loved ones in Christ who pass away in the Lord and go to be with him, what are they looking forward to next? It's the same thing you and I are looking forward to. What are you and I looking forward to? We're looking forward to the return of Jesus and the resurrection and glorification of our bodies. Which we will have forever. I'm going to get my body back. If I ever leave this body, I'm going to get it back. It'll be in better shape than it's ever been in. So we're looking forward to the return of Jesus. We're looking forward to the resurrection and glorification of our bodies. We're going to have our bodies forever. We're looking forward to the reunion of all of God's people from all of the ages and never separating again. We're looking forward to the revelation of Jesus in all his glory. We're looking forward to the reward of being with him in an eternal home of righteousness on this planet reigning with him in a description that is described here as an eternal tonnage of glory. All of creation is longing for this liberation. All of creation is looking forward to the revelation of the sons of God, which will happen at the return of Jesus Christ. And so we read this passage, which is very familiar to us, and we come to understand to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's good. That's really good. And we're glad to hear that it's good. To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. We're happy to know that. To have an eternal body that will be present with the Lord forever in our eternal home, a renewed earth, with everyone else who loves the Lord, well, that'll be great. Separation will no longer be our experience. And our tent-like sojourning, Paul uses that metaphor here in this passage, our tent-like sojourning, will be replaced with the permanency of being home. That's good. Those of you who know me, you know that back in the day, I, don't, I haven't done it recently, but I used to love to go backpacking. Throw things in the backpack and go out into the woods for 7, 10 days and just live off everything you have in your backpack and you live in this little brutal tent. I used to love that experience. It was a great deal, of great time. I don't know if my wasting away body would put up with it anymore. We could try it. But I used to love to go and spend a couple weeks in a tent, but I don't want to be there forever. I look forward to coming home to a king-size bed and to meals that are prepared in an oven, not cooked in a little can, and reading a book in a chair by the fire. I don't want to be in a tent forever. And Paul uses that metaphor here. Man, we are putting off our tent-like sojourning, and we're going to go home and be with the Lord. And when we go home and be with the Lord, if we die before he comes, we're coming back with him. We're going to get our bodies back. We'll never be separated from him. And there's coming a day when all of God's people will be joined together in his presence for all eternity. Therefore, we're not losing heart. And therefore, we're always of good courage, even facing the fragility of our lives and the ultimately collapse of our bodies to death. So Paul, in chapter 4, twice over, says, I'm not losing heart. We've looked at it. He has union with Jesus. He's looking forward to the promise of the resurrection being fulfilled, and he has the eternal weight of glory. Paul is not losing heart. He also says in this passage twice over, so we are always of good courage. So as I reach the end of my study of this passage, which is pretty familiar territory for us, this is what I put into my notes. I wrote this in my notebook at home. I put it into my notes here this morning. Here's what I put down. Because of God's grace to me in Christ, and through faith in Jesus Christ, I have been joined to him. When my health fails and my body collapses, I'll go on living with him. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? I'd prefer to not die. The only way to not die is to be joined to Jesus Christ. So when I exit my body, I won't be dying. I won't be dead. I'll I'll go on living. My body will be left behind. I'd prefer to not die. You want to go to heaven when you die? No, I'd prefer to not die. That's the promise of everlasting life. When my health fails and my body collapses, I'll go on living with Jesus. God will watch over my coming and my going. He brought me safely into this world. He'll take me safely over to the other side. And I'll never be separated from him. Living in union with Jesus today keeps me persevering. If I were depending upon the strength of my own resolves and my own commitment-keeping, it would be a disaster. Living in union with Jesus today, I will either be ready for his return or if I pass before he returns, I'll be coming back with him when he comes again. Either way... I won't ever be apart from him, for nothing can separate us, not death nor the devil. I'm looking forward to the future. I'm looking forward to being with the Lord. I'm looking forward to the resurrection. I'm looking forward to the reunion of all of God's people. I'm looking forward to a new earth. And I'm quite curious what my new occupation will be. Because in the new earth, there won't be churches. And there won't be any need for preachers. So I'm kind of curious what I'm gonna do there. It won't be boring. When God put people on this planet, He he said, Hey, rule and subdue this earth, you know, exercise dominion over it. Do you think in the new heaven and new earth we're just gonna sit around and watch God do stuff? We're gonna be awed by God and his glory forever, but you think we're gonna be bored? I can't wait to know what my new occupation will be. I'm looking forward to the resurrection, I'm looking forward to the return of Jesus, I'm looking forward to the new earth. And when I stand before God at the judgment seat, we didn't even look at that, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. When I stand before God at the judgment seat, I will fear no condemnation for Jesus is my righteousness and God will be my reward and all of this is owing to his grace to me and God's grace to me is embodied. It's body in a person and that person is Jesus Christ. These truths keep me from losing heart. These truths provide me good courage in this temporary, fragile experience. I can stand at the graveside of my father and kick a little dirt in on his casket and say, goodbye, Dad. When we meet again, it'll be a better day. When we meet again, it'll be a better day. And this is owing to God's grace to us. And his grace to us is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ we gather at this table and we remember him. His body broken for us, his blood poured out for the payment for our sin, his powerful resurrection, securing our resurrection, guaranteeing our salvation, and we look forward in faith to his return when we'll celebrate this with him anew in his kingdom. Let's, uh, let's close our service that way. Let's look in prayer. As I, as I close in prayer, the gentlemen who are to help uh, distribute the elements of the table this morning, if you'd come forward and meet me here. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come to you in prayer And we praise you for your grace to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus, we've been brought into a union with you and a union with him that can never be dissolved, can never be disturbed or destroyed. Not even death will separate us from you. Not even the devil will separate us from you. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, that though we were apart from you, Christ came to us willingly, lovingly, voluntarily, lived perfectly, fulfilled all righteousness, went to the cross and bore our sins away in his own body. We thank you for his death for us. We thank you for his powerful, victorious resurrection, his glorious ascension. And we can't wait to see him face to face. Know that our salvation will be consummated and our sanctification complete, and we will be like him and awed by you and awed by your grace and glory for us eternally. Father, we thank you for the things that you have secured for us in Christ. We gather around this table to specifically remember Jesus, to rejoice in him, to worship him, and to celebrate our fellowship with one another in Christ. Bless now our fellowship here around this table, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.